You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, and we are here in Las Vegas at the SEMA show. This is going to be part one of our SEMA coverage. Today's episode is brought to you by Dodge. Visit Dodge.com or your local dealer today. And Continental, visit OETechnologySeries.com. So check this out. Enjoy this compilation of interviews from today's leading automotive brands like Recaro, Comp Cams, Roush, Performance, Brembo, and Center Force Clutches. All right, let's get started. Let's kick things off with Recaro. All right, here we are in the Recaro booth, our first interview of SEMA. We're ready to kick it off early in the morning. Uh, we're here with Emil Krejcik. Krejcik. Emil Krejcik from Recaro. How are you? Oh, I'm wonderful. So happy you guys are here. It's good to get started first thing in the morning. Yeah, we kind of got lucky we don't even have credentials yet. We were walking by and we're like, <laughs> we, I swear we got to go by Recaro. We know where they are. Uh, right sort of in the beginning section. So... What is, uh, what is your title at Recaro? So I'm the uh, director for North America, so I have the responsibility for all the product that uh, we uh, uh, build, produce, and develop here in, in North America. So uh, both the aftermarket OEM uh, and the commercial vehicle uh, seats that we do as well. Recaro has, has, you know, first of all, been around for a long time, right? Like, Since 1906. Yeah, so it's been around for a long time. Um, and it just seems like in, uh, I don't know, the last dozen or so years, uh, Recaro started making a push on, on having the sort of branded seats in uh, all sorts of performance vehicles, but not necessarily all the high-end stuff anymore. Kind of followed the steps, or maybe you guys were the first ones to do it, of kind of what like Brembo would started to do. Like, you know, Brembo is OE on so right. many super high-end cars, but... Then they're like, "Hey, maybe we should do Ford Focus ST or, or RS or, or you know, Mustang or Camaro." And it seems right. like you guys um, uh, are been there the whole time as well. What? How much of the company now is is the OE stuff versus the aftermarket stuff? Is the aftermarket still sort of the hobby of the company? <laughs> so you know, actually, I, I wouldn't call the aftermarket really a hobby. Um, it's it's definitely that that part of the market we want to get back in and, and reinvigorate. Um, you know, it's it's the thing that's you know really you know got us to where we're at today. Um, it's helped us, you know, create those partnerships. You know, we've had, you know, partnerships with, you know, like Ford for, you know, 39 years with the Mustang. Yeah. And so, you know, it's something that, you know, we need to, you know, keep building upon that and, you know, keep the, you know, uh, get fresh product out there again for the aftermarket and, uh, you know, really get reinvigorated. That's why, you know, we've come back to SEMA, um, you know, this is our second year back and we really want to, uh, you know, uh, make a splash in, in, into the aftermarket world. You guys also have a big uh, uh, presence in, I guess, commercial seating. I, I'm not sure what you guys call it, but buses and airplanes, and and there's just a whole other arm to this company that is probably massive that maybe not many people are aware of. 
Yeah, I mean, so as as the brand, of course, we there are some other you know parts of you know the company. Um, you know, the 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 thing that you know on the automotive side that uh, that you know we stick with is you know all things on the ground, and uh, you know so we do have a presence in in truck seating in in Europe, and then in North America we actually carry a, a presence in the commercial vehicle you know transit uh, buses. Uh, you know, and it's a it's a product that uh, you know you know guys are sitting in these things you know twenty four seven, and you know it's about the quality, it's about the comfort um, that that you know Recaro seat really affords for them. Yeah. Now, I I'm very familiar with you guys in the racing scene as well. You guys have some pretty impressive racing shells out there, and uh, uh, you know guests on our show and guys that come over in, in that community, like uh, Ken Block, I believe, uh, uses your stuff as well. Oh yeah, we appreciate that definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's quite the marketer, isn't he? Yeah, um, he's he's a little bit uh, uh, everywhere, if you will. Um, what's new with you guys in the racing seat technology? So you know, on the on the racing seat uh, technology, um, you know, it's it's a product that uh, you know. Again, we're getting back and reinvigorating that that product. Um, you know, we spent uh, focus for the last couple years in, in the tuner seats, but um, you know, on the racing shells, you know, staying tried and true, um, you know, to to that heritage, you know, safety first, um, you know, ensuring that you know get the you know best quality product out there the best you know fit you know for for the uh, uh people are you know that are using that product um you know i'll say you know there'll be more to come yeah <laughs> how do you guys go through the testing process on the racing shell stuff like how many people do you have to physically injure <laughs> Hopefully well, none, right? Well, we don't we don't injure any. Yeah. But uh, you know, we you know we work to all the FIA standards um, of the industry. Um, you know, as well as you know, we we've taken some of our uh, you know racing product and and we've made it you know turned them into street legal uh, products as well too. Um, so you know, mostly for Europe, we've done some limited releases here in North America as well, and mm-hmm. and looking to do you know some more in the future as well. Um, but you know, it's uh, you know the the product and and the safety. You know, we we you know we're striving for you know lightest weight. Uh, we're striving for you know the you know safest seat. Uh, striving for you know meeting meeting the requirements. So you know when a guy goes to his track day, he knows he's got a product that's uh, you know there ready to go, and he doesn't have to worry about uh, any holdups as he's doing inspections. In the racing seat world, is everything? based off of a composite now it's a carbon fiber or is there still plastic shells just for affordability or is there certain types of racing where you you can't use certain materials right you know that's 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 a really good question i mean the so you know a lot of our you know let's call them the affordable uh solutions you know they're 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 glass fiber composites um and and we offer those really at at every level so guys have an entry point that uh you know you got you got a product that meets the requirements you can go race day with um and you don't have to spend a you know a complete fortune um, and then we've got the, uh, you know, the products that, you know, carbon fiber, you know, where guys are looking, you know, you know, you know, it's called hardcore racing. You know, yeah. they're out there, you know, every weekend and, you know, weight is, is truly a different maker in, in, in what they're doing. And so, you know, you got to have that spread of, of product, um, you know, so that you can, you know, address the, you know, different kinds of racers, different kinds of what, you know, what these guys want to do. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the tuner seats. Uh, Recaro for me has always been, I guess, I always saw them as more of the 
mm, technical seat, more of the science-focused seats. Every time somebody says for Carl, I think of ergonomics and yep. uh, you know, uh, you know, long-term drivability and how you're going to sit up straight or be most comfortable and less fatigue. And that's I don't know. For me, that's sort of been sort of the ongoing thing with with Recaro. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's, uh, you know, that's what, uh, you know, we, we put that kind of, uh, um, let's call it our DNA, if you will, that we put into into our seats. And it's about, you know, supporting, you know, supporting the body. So you really, in a, in a Recaro seat, you, you sit uh, in the seat as opposed to on the seat, right? So, you know, when you, you know, when you sit down in, you know, sit on the cushion, you know, a, a proper forming butt pocket, if you will, that, you know, allows you to sit, you know, properly. Properly in, in the vehicle, um, you know, and our dealers, you know, they, they fit guys in, into those seats, you know, as yeah. such. Um, and then the and then the back of, of the seat, really, you know, an S shaped curve um, that really supports your spine, you know. And, and when you distribute that throughout your whole body, it just makes for a so much more comfortable ride. And you know, uh, you know, you're able to go for for you know a longer time, you know. Ideally, you know, you, your last lap is faster than your first lap in, in, yeah. in a Recaro seat, right? Okay. How many, um, how many seats are in your aftermarket tuner lineup? So, um, let's see. You know, we actually, you know... Because there's certain options on certain seats as yeah. well, but there's just different styles. There's got to be at least a half a dozen or there, so. There's, just, there, there's about, uh, you know, eight or nine different styles, yeah. but, you know, inside of that is, you know, all the different... Um, uh, you know, trim colors, trim patterns. I mean, it right. it, it, it starts coming into you know hundreds and, of different kinds of options. Maybe like a wide seat or or normal seat or power versus manual. Exactly, there's, there's a couple different options on those. Yeah, um, I mean, definitely in the racing shells, wider and narrower because yeah, you, you know sure, you're really you trying to fit them. a guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So and and even in the tuner seats, you know, not you know some some tuner seats are you know a little wider, a little narrower, just you know based on you know you know to help fill you know fill that need across you know, the different vehicles. What, what are some of the new seats you have here today? We'll grab some photos of them. We'll throw them all up on our social media. And, of course, at CarCast Show, we'll post uh, plenty, plenty of galleries of, of photos here. But. So, you know, da- out there on the corner, we've got our, our Houndstooth. Um, you know, it's a product that, uh, you know, we, we revealed last year and, and it generated huge excitement. Uh, you know, it's really, it's got kind of a period correctness to it, you know, that uh, late 70s, uh, yeah. early 80s, um, you know, which, which a lot of people are modifying right that, now. That's a that's a pattern, that's the cover on the seat. Is that available on several different seats? So, you know, we, we've, uh, we've limited it to that seat right now. And what seat is that, that it's um, on? So that is our... The, oh, yeah, expert houndstooth. <laughs> expert houndstooth. There you go. It's early. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's the expert houndstooth. And, and again, it's the, it's the center inserts. You know, it's a, it's a uh, leather, you know, uh, wrapped uh, bolsters. Um, you know, it's a really, really pretty seat and a really beautiful seat and fits, you know, it's going to fit good in a lot of, a lot of cars. Um, the uh, next seat we got, you know, is, is the Speed V. Um, so what we're targeting after there is, is really we've got a solution that, you know, guys can drop right into uh, a Corvette with, uh, um, you know, with the risers uh, solutions that, that we have adapted for, for that vehicle as well. Okay. Um, 
and uh, you know we've had to make some changes. You know, being uh, to kind of skinny up the seat a little bit to to make it fit. An aftermarket seat in a Corvette is not easy. No, it's, it's kind of complex, <laughs> and you're right. It's the seat sits kind of low, and it's very kind of it's very narrow yeah. and. And you don't have a lot of roof to work with, yeah. you know, so especially with a full bucket like this. And, and we found a solution that uh, that uh, guys can, uh, you know, buy a full kit and drop it right in, right in the vehicle. What's the focus, like C6 Corvettes? Um, so um, 5, 6, and 7. So what, 5, 6, and 7. Yeah. Well, there you go. And then the, uh, the next seat we've got here is, is our uh, GT. And... Uh, you know, so basically, you know, taking you know taking our Sportster line, um, freshening it yeah. up, and uh, you know, putting the the uh, you know kind of a, a, a V um, a pattern into the seat. Um, you know, just just you know, really bringing it into into what guys are looking for today. Um, you know, it's a nice, it's a shell seat, um, so you know, very very slim looking, and uh, you know, go a long way in, in a lot of vehicles. And you're right, it's got sort of a, a, a more modern design to it, just sort of the patterns and stuff on it, which we'll show you guys again in our photo gallery. Um, one of the questions I, uh, I wanted to ask you before we wrap up is, is what advice would you give somebody when they're shopping for a seat? Because I, I know uh, you'll look around on their website and you start to think, hey, I want to you know, occasionally do a track day or something, so I want to get a seat with some side bolsters and stuff. And then you realize... You can't get in and out of it very easily because it's right. too high up on your leg, you know, and you got to be able to turn to get out of the car. Yep. So uh, there's a way to sort of hold yourself into the seat but still make it pretty functional, right? Yeah. So I don't know. what What's sort of the... The advice for shopping for a seat. What what should people look for? Oh, you know, I, I think I think it's really not a complicated scenario in reality. I mean, you know, kind of for you know, kind of one of the first things, you know, take take a look at what catches your eye, um, but uh, don't stop there. Um, yeah. Make sure you sit in it, right? I mean, if you if you're working with dealers or whatever, um, you know, if it's in a box, have them pull it out of the box, sit in it. You know, nobody wants to deal with a, a return, and at the end of the day. You know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, putting your butt in that seat is what's going to tell you that this is a seat for you or not. You're right. Like, oh, well, you're, you're scrolling through photos online. They all look great, but you don't know. Some are going to have uh, a little bit thinner cushion and some right. have a little bit thicker cushion and some are a little snug on the sides. A little and wider. Some a little, a little wider. wider yeah. or, or maybe we're a little wider and the seats <laughs> are a little narrower. You, you never really know until you kind of get in it. Yep. So yeah, no. That, that to me, it's just really that simple of advice, and you know, and, you know, and of course, it's styling too. But uh, absolutely, make sure you sit in it. Do you guys do um, custom covers if people want to order that if they're building a, a specific car? Uh, how do you guys handle different colors and materials? So you know, that is that is uh, something we've offered for for a long time. Um, you know, having you know the option for doing custom covers, um, we will uh, continue uh, to do that into the future as well. Um, you know, again, you know, a lot of times, you know, guys will send us, uh, you know, their yards of their material, and we'll put the uh, patterns together so that we can uh, fit that uh, material into, you know, into onto that seat, which will match, you know, the rear seats, you know, whatever else they're doing in the vehicle. And how does? How do we go about doing that? Do we contact you guys, or do we go through a dealer and they set it up? So you know, the best way is actually work, work through your dealer. 
Um, you know, if, if you don't have a dealer that's close to you, yeah, absolutely give us a call. You know, we got a customer service group um, that's available um, that can help, uh, you know, assist. But, you know, really the best way is, is, is through the dealers because those guys are, you know, can help, you know, coordinate everything. You know, they're, you know, really attentive to, you know, the you know, new owner's needs um, and, you know, can help us, you know, you know, get everybody connected together the best. Yeah. Okay. So, where can we find you guys online? So it would be uh, uh, Recaro um, Automotive, and um, let's see. Um, yeah, that's the best place to find us online. So RecaroAutomotive.com yeah. is the website, and there's our uh, dealer list up there. So if we want to go someplace Correct. locally and check out, a, yeah, so check the, out seats and yep. try them on. <laughs> yep. No, absolutely. So there's a so dealer uh, dealer list is uh, in that uh, website. Yeah. Um, and it's the best place to start, and uh, you know, get those, uh, um, you know, make make that connection with your dealer. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Have a good SEMA week. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Okay, now we're in the Comp Performance Group uh, booth here. we got so many big brands going on. We're here with my friend Mark Campbell. Good to see you again, Mark. How are you? Very good. Thank you. we got the big banner above us. we got TCI Transmissions, Fast Automotive, that's, uh, all the air and fuel components. Yeah, fuel right? injection of course, and amps, uh, uh, Zex Nitrous Kits, Inglis, RHS Heads. There's, there's a whole bunch going on here. It's all sort of packed in one booth. I did see that you guys put uh, our friend Lake Speed Jr. and his driven oil down well, down. we got to keep him segregated, yeah, you right? I mean, put him just, down. Yeah, yeah, push him off to the side a little bit. Yeah, so. yeah he's, his, he's over there by himself in his own little booth, playing with his lubricants. That's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we just had him on the in the in the studio not too long ago. Oh, yeah. um, and it's always great when he comes in. But so, of course, we're here. We're at SEMA. This is the greatest place to show off all these new parts. You guys have uh, a ton of things, but uh, we're going to pick a few that we think are are, are pretty neat. Yep. Um, and uh, the one thing I want to start with is it's comp cams. And so you have some new cam packages, but also a, a new finishing process or coating or yes. something that's on the cams. Yeah, so we, we kind of debuted the MSE or micro surface enhancement last year on the camshafts, um, uh, specifically on the LS stuff last year. We came out with that. But now we're actually offering that as an upgrade to any roller camshaft. So for basically $100, you can add that on to any camshaft, and you get that same uh, premium finish. Any new camshaft. Somebody's yeah, buying new, something yes, new, they can new add 100 bucks to it. And get it and explain, yeah. what, it is, what are you doing to the cam for that process, and what's the benefit? Uh, well, basically what we're doing is we're, we're taking and making that surface as, as smooth as we possibly can. And, and really, I mean, trying to explain it in simple terms, I mean, you, if you get Billy Godbold in here or something like that, he'll go off <laughs> just yeah. talking all technical. But basically what it's trying to do is create as much surface area on the camshaft for the lifter to contact. So, of course, the more you can spread that load out across the entire face of the camshaft, the better it's going to be. So it's going to provide better wear on the camshaft over years. Okay. It will also provide just simply a smoother surface for that roller to roll over and make the valve train more stable. So it's it's, it's pretty neat deal. It's funny because you look at the cams and everything looks like you polished it for the show, like yep. like you almost like you chromed it or polished it just yep. for the SEMA show floor. But that's the way they look now. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we try and stress to the customers is we're not doing this to make it look shiny. It's, it, it's a byproduct. The fact that it looks beautiful 
is honestly something we discussed as we were doing this process and and we almost hope that the camshafts came out not looking as nice as they did because we don't want to think that we're trying to cover something up or polish something or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, one of the things we've discovered is if, if the camshaft is ground incorrectly at first, the polishing process actually makes it look worse. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing that people need to know is that we're, we're not covering something up. We're, we're truly trying to make that surface better and and. Make, make the camshaft last longer and perform better. And that's what it's all about. Does that polishing process help in break-in in any way? It certainly does. Yeah. Absolutely. It's getting rid of the, the peaks and the valleys, basically. When you, when you look at a, a surface finish on any type of metal, it's, it looks like a mountain range. So we're taking off the tops of those mountain ranges and, and making those peaks and valleys less. And so, yes, it definitely does help. And that's one thing people don't even understand about a, a roller cam. Yeah. There is a break-in on a roller cam. It's not like a flat tappet camshaft, yeah. obviously, but there is a break-in process, and this does help that. You do this process for flat tappet cams as well? We're just starting to experiment with that, actually. Speaking right. of Lake, um, <laughs> he was actually doing some testing here just recently. We got some camshafts done. Um, he was doing some cam and some oil testing at the same time. Yeah. And we actually do have a couple of flat tappet cams that we did the MSE polish on. And I'm telling you, just a little tidbit, it's looking good. It's looking good. Yeah, yeah. it's really it going to help the break-in I mean, process. If you think about, we have uh, we have like coating processes and polishing processes for like rear-end gears and yep. stuff. And really, that's more just about the break-in. Like it's a yep. quicker break-in period. You Absolutely. Know, in, instead of doing 500 or 1,000 miles and accelerating and decelerating to get sort of even wear initially on both sides of the gear. Yes. It's like that's, you, you'll spend a couple extra hundred dollars on, on getting the rear gear polished, but it's really for braking. After that, it's yep. not making much of a difference. But on on cams, braking is super important. It's very important. flat tap it yep. is, is even more important. Yeah. So if you can... Well, oil is, of course, vitally important to a flat tap at camshaft's life. And, of course, that's why we've got this great partnership with Lake and Driven Oil on that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely this MSE process is starting to show some very, very positive signs yeah. towards doing that. We actually had a camshaft, flat tap at camshaft with no parkerizing on it at all, which, I mean, the parkerizing process that we do is really to help break in. So we actually made a couple of camshafts that were unparkerized with this MSE polish on them and put them in an engine and broke them in. And uh, like I said, we'll share some more data as we kind of get yeah. through it, but exciting so far. So talking about cams, what are some of the new cam yep. packages that you guys have now? It seems like LS is the is the jam these days. Absolutely. Everybody's doing LS stuff. Every, LS swap the world. Right? Everybody swap yeah. the world, right? So what we've come out with is is uh, a, a really really cool line of thumper camshafts. Everybody's kind of familiar with the thumper of, yeah. of the old, but it's we've kind of reinvigorated that a little bit, but on a different level with these LS engines. So what we've got is our new thumper NSR series camshafts, and the NSR stands for no springs required. Right. So you don't need to change your valve spring. It'll work with a stock spring. Now we do also have a stock replacement that's a little bit better than a stock replacement spring if you do need to. Um, but the beauty of these camshafts is you can slide them right into the engine. Nothing yeah. else required. The stage one camshaft makes 68 horsepower over stock and the stage two makes over 90 horsepower. Okay. So with just a simple camshaft swap, and then, I mean, if you add headers and all kinds of other stuff, obviously it's just going to enhance that even more. But it's a thumper cam, so it's got it, it, so some So it's got the real it. killer yeah. so lope to it, but the cool part is they make good power. That was one of the things with the, the thumper cams of old. When they was, came out eight or ten years yeah, ago. Yeah, they sounded awesome, and you know what? They made really good power, but they were very RPM limited. 
Yeah. This package is not that way. It, it sounds awesome. It's got that thump to it, but they make horsepower all the way to, you know, 65, 68, 100, 7,000 RPM. So you want some of that, that rumble at idle, yep. but you still want drivability and a good... Exactly. You know, and this Not way too much cam. Yeah, and this camshaft right? is really giving the you the best of both worlds. It gives you the thump, gives you the drivability, and, and the power. Yeah. So it's okay. pretty exciting. So, yeah. and, and on the topic of LS, I, and I, I haven't gotten into them quite as much as you guys obviously have, um, but uh, uh, tell me about the rocker system that you guys have developed that's, yes. that's out there for... So we're very excited about this. It's honestly one of those things that I looked at. <laughs> I love to see what you go, tell me about roller rockers, which is the nerdiest thing ever. And they're like, yeah. oh man, I can't wait to tell you about this. Yeah. These are so, so... We're so happy about this product yeah. that you're never going to see because it's inside your yeah, engine. Yeah, it's covered up and you never <laughs> yeah. get to see it. Exactly. But this this product honestly is so simple. It's one of those things that when, when I saw it for the first time with our engineers, I went and looked at it and went, damn, how come I didn't think of that? Yeah. Right? Basically what it does is it takes a stock rocker arm, which is a very, very proven design on the LS engines. We put a bronze bushing into the inside of that rocker, and then we have a one-piece shaft that ties all those rockers together. The beauty of it is you take the stock rockers off, you bolt this on, there is no machining, no messing around, no nothing. It is simply a direct bolt-on piece. And it is stable beyond imagination. Um, so if, if you want durability, if you want longevity and a much more stable valve train, this you is guys the way basically to go. have a, yeah. a shaft-mounted rocker yep. conversion kit. Well, and really you the, know, If your rockers are in good shape already and yep. you're trying to... Well, and this actually comes with brand new rockers. So this kit comes with new rockers okay. and the shaft. It's a complete assembled system that you bolt on. So you don't, need to so use you don't even need to use your old rockers. Okay. You can just take and sell those or do whatever you want with them, sell them to your buddy and, and, and move on. So this is a complete brand new system that bolts on. Uh, and it really fits a beautiful price point because before what we had was either you take your stock rocker and use it, which costs nothing, or you take a stock rocker and put like a, a trunnion kit in it, which was a nice upgrade. But then really the next step was if you wanted to go to something like this, you were into a Jezel or a TND rocker system that was fifteen, eighteen hundred, two thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, this rocker system prices in at five ninety nine. That's excellent. So it's it's really right there at the perfect price point and a phenomenal product. We've had it on engines, uh, solid roller stuff beyond 10,000 RPM, hydraulic roller stuff beyond 9,000 RPM. So it's it's incredibly stable and, and a great complement to some of our new cam packages. Tell me a, a little bit about the, uh, the new um, uh, manifolds that you guys have here. Now, we saw prototypes of this. We were geeking out over yeah, we, it last we year. We teased you last year with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I think we were talking to Trent. Uh, yeah. Uh, Trent Goodwin um, about it last year. Um, I guess go ahead and explain it. And yeah. So it's our LSX HR intake manifold is what we're calling it, uh, made by Fast, and it's a complete polymer intake similar to the material that we used on our other Fast intakes, but still very different. This thing is specifically designed for boost. So it actually has a fiberglass reinforced polymer. Um, this intake manifold is rated for beyond 40 pounds of boost. I think we're putting about a 45 PSI boost number on it, but okay. I can even tell you it'll take a bunch more than that, but got to yeah, leave yeah. some safety margin Let's in there. You shouldn't run more um, than 45 anyway. Most people don't need that anyways, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's there. Um, the beauty of this intake manifold is it is extremely tunable. It has different runner lengths. It'll have three different runner lengths that you can buy with it, and it's basically a snap-on type 
top piece that goes on. Um, we have a short, a medium, and a long. It'll come shipping with the long, which is what most people will need for, for higher torque and, and good power to probably about 8,500 RPM yeah. um, on a medium cubic inch type engine. Um, but the, the intake manifold is set up, boost ready, big throttle body will go on to it. It has the ability to put nitrous bungs into it. Um, it's a really, really cool design. And the fact that it's a polymer intake makes it very, very light and it doesn't heat soak. And those are the two big performance things that people really, really like is it doesn't get hot underneath the hood. So it's sort of a two-piece design. It has yep. the lower manifold and then the top bolts to it. Correct. Um, with the throttle body opening. But inside there, there's individual stacks. Those, those stacks. runners. Yeah. And you can snap them in. You yep. can just unbolt the top. Is it O-ringed? Yeah, it's got a, a rubber O-ring, O-ring that's built it. right into it. So you unbolt the top. And yeah, those those pieces just basically push in a quarter turn and they lock into place. they got a rubber O-ring on them that keeps the pressure on them so they don't come loose or anything like that. It's a really, really cool design. And uh, like I said, you can tune it very specifically for what type of engine, whether it's cubic inch or RPM or how much boost you're running, whatever. You can really, really custom yeah. tailor this manifold to exactly what you need to make it perform how you need it for your engine. It's pretty slick and it's good looking stuff. Like I said, we saw the prototype of it last year yeah. and messed around with you know taking the top off and yep. looking at all the things and then and then Trent was like, this is so new, we're not even supposed to yeah. show it. I was like, It was a little okay, premature last off. year, but we were so excited about it, we wanted to show <laughs> yeah. some people. So, um, But, uh, yeah, we're well, very, it looks very, good now. very, very, very close on it. It looks pretty good. Yeah. So, and it'll come complete with fuel rails and everything like mm-hmm. that as well, so it's going to be a very complete kit. Um, I guess the last thing we should touch on is, um, uh, you know, electronics and technology seem to be playing such a big part. Yes. Year after year as we come out here. It, everything's more and more electronically controlled. People yep. ask me all the time, they're like, you know, I sit down with some of the suspension guys and they got, here's a new spring and sway bar kit. And I was like, yeah, but th- your phase one, you know, like uh, suspension kit is going to be a handheld tuner. Yep. All right. And then it's going to be a tuner with springs yeah. and a tuner with sway bar <laughs> because everything's so computer controlled now. Absolutely. What are you guys doing in that space? In the well, we got some very exciting electronic-related items. Uh, one of the newest ones that we have is actually in TCI, and we have a, a Bluetooth module that plugs into our transmission controller that you can actually get an app on your iPhone or your Android device, yeah. and you can control your transmission through your telephone. Not okay. much of a telephone, I now, guess, anymore. But, but, and, uh, now but explain to us why we want to do that. How, well, how are we going to do it and not break the transmission? Well, there's a couple unique... The beauty of it is it still uses our easy technology, which really doesn't require any knowledge necessarily of tuning a transmission, but it allows you to do a couple things. You can switch shift points. You can shift, uh, modify the firmness of the shift on the fly with your phone as you're driving. Okay. The other cool part is it has a lot of data logging ability. So you can, when you're driving down the road, you can see all of the functions that are going on with the transmission, which is really, really cool. People like stuff, right? They yeah. like to be able to see stuff and touch and feel and see. And, and, of course, everybody's got a phone in their pocket. So it's a really, really neat deal as far as that goes. The other really cool feature that we've integrated into this thing is is basically like an anti-theft type of system. So oh, you yeah. can actually deactivate this controller with your phone at any given time. So as you walk away from your car, you could deactivate this device 
And your transmission, you shut your transmission drive. off. Yeah. You could shut your transmission off, which is so a weird it, thing to be you able know, to do. It it's was even, something that we kind of thought of at the last minute. It's like, hey, wow, we could do this. Yeah, you know. So, so that same technology with the Bluetooth connectability, I guess, to electronic devices is going to be something that we're going to expand on a, a bunch over the next few years. So you're going to see that same technology get into some of the EFI stuff. And uh, so right now, it's well. not like you can go out and buy a new Camaro and then you can get this device and can control the transmission you need the transmission controller so this is mostly for it's basically designed for like for our 4x and our 6x transmissions okay. that we build um, the, the the tcu basically that controls those this module plugs into that at this point and yeah. can control those transmissions right so, so if, you, if you're building yeah. your car or doing some upgrades or like you see here in the sema show floor there's all the hot rods and yep. muscle cars that are using those transmissions exactly they want that transmission controller anyway yep so you're adding that next yeah. level. And of this is a retrofit product, so it'll plug into an existing product that we have, or you can buy it as a complete new kit as well. So it's, it's kind of right. neat. It use, works with old stuff, too. So, uh, Well, awesome. I, I, I appreciate uh, all the great stuff that you guys are doing here. Um, well, thank you. Real quick, how's the world of nitrous? What's good? Well, I think... Like, has it sort of faded off? or No, it certainly hasn't. I mean... Turbos right now, of course, are all the rage. Everybody's got a turbocharger, yeah. and, and uh, I think that uh, nitrous is still out there. It's still a, a pretty cheap power adder. I mean, the price of nitrous has changed a little bit over the last year or so, but, I mean, we still sell a ton of Zek stuff. We got a couple of really, really good systems. I mean, we got we just came out with one for the new Coyote engine. I guess it's not that new anymore, but but yeah. uh, we got a, a nitrous plate for the Coyote. We got all kinds of different fogger systems. Um, so it's still... Uh, and, and who's mostly the audience? on those now are, are, are street guys still doing it yep, um, or absolutely. Uh, it's more of a weekend drag racer or I think a little bit of both actually I mean the street yeah. guys definitely like it because it's something they can turn on and off right now yeah. you know it's super it's, easy whereas the, the supercharger well, turbocharger is kind of always there whereas the nitrous you can turn it on and off as you need it you know we're talking about computer controlled systems that's kind of where Zex fits in right yep. like they're more of it's more of a sort of a computer control. Yeah, it kind of has its own management system built yeah. in. Everything ties into a box and it's all controlled through there. So it really simplifies the use of nitrous as well. So it's, it takes the guesswork out of it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And that's where we've really had good success with that line is, is it simple anybody can use it you don't have to have much knowledge i mean read the basic instructions and install it yourself or have it installed and uh, and it works and and you're not going to tear up your engine. Well, I love it. Um, say hi to Trent for me. I know he had a family emergency. Yes, he, he did, went, unfortunately. He went back uh, home. But yeah. uh, well, we talked to Lake. We talked to Chris Douglas. And um, you're, you're kind of throwing us off because all these boys got their accent. They're all from Tennessee and stuff. And, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure you're Canadian. I am so. <laughs> how, did you get a, how did you end up at Comp Cams? I got lost. I was just driving <laughs> along one day. And it just started, yeah. started heading to Florida, going south for <laughs> exactly. vacation. And, yeah. and stopped to get some yeah. parts and uh, never yeah. left. Well, I mean, for years and years and years, I had my own shop. My dad and I actually had our own shop up in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, and uh, I was a comp customer and knew yeah. all the guys there. Rick Sparks especially was, was somebody that I know knew very well. And over the years, uh, just maintained a very good relationship with them. And as years went by, we ended up actually selling our shop. And, and I went on and did a, a couple other little things in the meantime, but always kind of kept in contact. And uh, one year at the SEMA show, actually... Uh, Rick kind of called me into the booth, waves me over and kind of points, you know, you need to sit down and yeah. let's have a talk. And 
anyways, here we are. That's it. So and you few, never left. Yeah, You're yeah, still here. Yeah, exactly. I'm still here. And, well, I'm, and, I'm uh, glad you are. This has been good stuff. So yep. uh, I know, again, there's a bunch of different companies all part of the part the Comp Performance Group, but where can we find you guys online? Uh, CompCams.com um, is, is the primary website. That'll definitely direct you to all the other ones, too. FuelAirSpark.com, um, and th those two are our primaries. TCI Automotive, of course, is for the transmissions, and uh, CPG Nation Live as well is another good website to go to. We have a lot of our, uh, our shows and events that we go to are all broadcast on there, right on. and, of course, on Facebook. Um, you yeah. can find us there. Well, we and you're right. We do know that CompCams is is sort of the home base of, of this stuff, and it links to yep. all the other brands as well. So just definitely remember that. Yep. And uh, and you guys will be good. Um, Absolutely. Mark, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And, uh, thank like you. Like we said before, we're going to grab some more photos and put all this stuff up online. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Let's take a quick break and talk about Dodge. Your authorized Dodge dealer invites you to experience a world of performance, design, and fuel efficiency. Schedule a test drive today. Just go to Dodge.com or visit your local Dodge dealer to learn more about the exciting offers on our powerful lineup. Back to the show. All right, we're sitting here now with Jack Rouse Jr. Thanks for having us come over here. We're out in front of uh, of uh, the SEMA show where there's the big drift pad, and you guys are making a hell of a lot of noise out there. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know. SEMA never gets old. It's uh, you know, it's just a new year. It feels like we never left, honestly. Yeah, you guys are going to hear this in the background as we do this. Uh, Justin Pollock, our buddy, we talked to several times before. He's out there uh, as well. And uh, funny, funny story about Justin is uh, he was. He's been driving with you guys for a while now, and he's been doing the ride-alongs out here. And uh, uh, we we went out with um, uh, a bunch of the bunch of your guys um, at SEMA a couple years ago, um, Jay and uh, Andy and Eddie and all the guys, and we made Justin go with us. Oh no! And, and uh, Eddie's like, guys, I can't stay all night. I've got to. I've got to be in the car. I've got to be drifting at 8 in the morning. We're like, we're not staying out late. Don't be, don't be a wuss. Sorry. We're going to do this. Don't be a wuss. And we were all so tired. We just wouldn't tell Justin how tired we were. And we, we stayed till like 3, 4 in the morning. Oh, no. And then Justin's like, I'm, I can't do it anymore. I'm throwing in the towel. And then he did. And then finally we're all like, oh, good. Now we can go to bed. We were just trying to keep him up as late as possible. So we had to come out here and drive in the next morning. He goes, I can barely move. What happened? We're like, oh, yeah, we were just messing with you all the time. We were just trying to keep you up because we knew you had to drive. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we, we slept in until 10. But uh, he's like, what? Uh, we had a, we had a, a great time with him just trying to bust his chops because we knew he was going to be out here driving the car. Oh, yeah, by that, the way, that wasn't very nice. You no, know, super dangerous, and I was driving your car, but right. uh, it's a good thing he knows what he's doing over there. Yeah. Um, so you've been doing some racing, and we've talked about this at SEMA's in the past as well. Um, uh, You're doing it was Pirelli World Challenge for a while as well, right? And yep. and what are you racing now? So uh, in 2006, well. Do you want me to take a step yeah. back? Starting from the beginning. So I started go-karting when I was six years old, and uh, it was with go-karts. It was during a time when my dad didn't have uh, another race team, so he started one, and it was with me go-karting. And uh, we did that, that for five years, uh, won four and a half championships. Uh, I continued go-karting here and there after that point, but... Uh, you know, didn't do a whole lot of racing until I was an adult, and I wanted to get back into it. 
did a little bit of drag racing, which was really cool. I have a ton of respect for people who do that. And um, uh, in 2006, uh, I had the chance to do some road racing in what was called the Grand Am Cup with Dean Martin. Uh, and uh, the name of the team at that time was Rehagen Racing. And uh, it's basically, um, the name has changed quite a bit with sponsors and mergers, but uh, as of last year, it was the IMSA Continental Tire Series. Okay. And uh, I did a little stint, uh, just two years, in the Pirelli World Challenge. And road racing is really my thing. You know, I, I drift when I come out here, but I'm not a Formula D guy. You know, I'm yeah. just out here having fun. But Yeah. I think uh, we... We have the uh, Mangria logo on one of uh, yeah on one of your cars. Yeah, absolutely. And the I saw it over. I we saw it over. Yeah, it was over in your in your shop for a while, or in your in your collection over there, right? Yep. Um, and I know that car is for sale, right? Is it still it's still for sale? I put yep. it up. We put it up on uh, Facebook a while ago. But um, what year is that Mustang? It is a Boss uh, three hundred two. They don't they don't really give them model years. Yeah. They give them. You know, what what year were you racing? It was probably four, four years ago. 2014? Yeah, that sounds about 15. right. Yeah, 2014 and 15 in that yeah. series. So uh, that car was from 2014 with the Mangria logo, and that was for Long Beach, Yeah, which is really cool. I love that track. Yeah, and that's a fun event. We love going down to Long Beach. Um, uh, How did you do this past season? Uh, it was kind of a tougher year. We had a bunch of mechanical issues, and uh, uh, we ended up not running the whole season. Uh, but it was racing challenge- expensive. Yeah, and it's you know it's up and down. We had some issues. Uh, you know, you know some years things really click. Other years, you know, it seems like there's always something about to go wrong. Is that it was a down year this past year? The year before, we had some mechanicals, but. We podiumed or won every time we didn't have an issue. So, you know, it's kind of feast or famine. Yeah. And you're you were running a, a you were running a Mustang. You were running one of the new chassis, the S five fifty. That's right. Yeah. Because the other car we were talking about wasn't the S five fifty, right? Yeah. So the current car is really advanced technology, really high cost. It's uh uh. I, I'm not sure of the exact price, but it's like two, two twenty-five to two hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. Where the previous car, I believe, was closer to half that. At the same time, the technology in it is really advanced, and it, it's uh, all of road racing, uh, or at least the pro level road racing, is for production cars is going to GT4. Yeah. Which is a new uh, homologation from uh, from Europe. So these cars that we're running. They're the same in World Challenge, uh, IMSA, uh, in Europe, which is kind of cool. That's right. I was reading about that. Multimatic or something does a lot of the development on those cars, right? And they're kind of sealed in a sense, right? There's only so much you can do to these cars. And and there was a big change. Like, uh, I guess they were selling the cars for, you know, buck 25, buck 50, but there was a lot of finishing work and things that you guys had to do to dial them in. Now the cars are roughly 250000 but they're trying to create parity and less work for you guys. So more more cost up front, but hopefully less cost down the line of the racing season. But it's still, it's 
anytime you kind of switch things up that way, it's it's different because you have to raise money differently. You need to, you know, get the sponsors up front and and make that big investment up front. So it's right. Racing is a tough thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the cost never seems to go down. It's, yeah. It, it is very expensive, but um, yeah, it's at the same time the technology. You know, the cars. It's amazing what they do for being a production, you know, chassis. Yeah. You know. The yeah. uh and the the new cars, the new Mustang, such a good looking car and man in race trim like what we're talking about the GT4. That's a good looking car. Oh yeah. That thing's sharp. Yep. Yeah, that looks kind of badass. Um so tell us what's going on with Roush Performance. So, uh we got a lot here going on at SEMA. Uh we're showing at our booth a 2018 F150. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, we have our Stage 3 uh, 2019 Mustang here. Um, uh, a few other vehicles on display in the show. But, uh, yeah, we're really you know kind of going back to our roots, talking about the F-150, especially in the Stage 3. We haven't had a Stage 3 in uh, how long has it been? Quite a few years. Yeah, it's yeah. been a little bit, just with model year changeover. Uh, a lot of pent-up demand, so there's a lot of excitement around it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. The F-150, uh, used to be 600 horse. Now it's 650, uh, supercharged. We also went, uh, we'll be going to... Are they off-road trucks or street trucks? Uh, we have both. The the Roush versions, they're both. Yeah, we have a off-road truck, uh, which is here. And I don't believe we have a nightmare truck here, do we? Okay. Yeah, I stand corrected. Yeah. Yeah. yeah way so too much there's, is going there's on one for me here to keep somewhere. Track of. Um, but here in your booth, you've got uh, you've got the off road truck. That's right. Yeah. And you're running. You guys, you guys develop your own superchargers. When we went over there for a, a visit like a year or two ago, we kind of got the walkthrough on that. But it seems like everyone's using the new Eaton screws, the twenty six fifties. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we. You know, we consider our superchargers kind of core to our brand, and uh, we're very unique in that we, you know, we're here at SEMA, which mm-hmm. you think of as an aftermarket performance show. We really don't think of ourselves as aftermarket, even though we do sell superchargers and other parts separate from the vehicles, but we really pride ourselves in making uh, packages that. You can buy as parts, but are also part of pre-title uh, vehicles that are fully warranted. They're reliable, uh, very high quality, you know, all that. Yeah, so when you guys buy a, a, a Roush Mustang or a Roush F-150, that's basically Roush is the manufacturer, right? Like, you, you're, you're buying a Roush vehicle. I mean, just because it's built on a Ford platform, it's much different than any tuner car if you will this is right you know not not to take anything away from ford you know just the opposite you know they the packages you know the ford base chassis that we build up on uh it's amazing what ford is doing right now and you know we just kind of put our spin on it and you know make our vision of what we want it to be yeah so how many variations of the f-150 do we have and then we'll get into the mustang side so there's uh off-road which mm-hmm. is non-supercharged, an off-road supercharged, and our nightmare uh, nightmare is 2018 
the we also have a sport truck, which is technically, you know, we look at it as a street performance vehicle, but it's not supercharged as well. So I guess four different flavors. Okay. And there's, you know, almost limitless combinations of you know base chassis and you know optional components for our packages as yeah. well. And the Mustangs have always been a big thing, you know, since the SN95 might be when you guys started with the Roush Mustangs, right? Right. I've um, been a fan of them for years. They've, I've always sort of saw the cars that you guys built as as kind of the only thing out there with an OE quality to it. The fit and finish of the body kits and the pieces that you guys make have always been fantastic. And uh, it, we've... We've said it before, where it's just the quality of parts. I think is really what makes the difference um, between uh, between the Roush stuff and and a lot of other people. I mean, now it's super competitive, even more than ever. So everybody's making good stuff. But oh, I kind of felt like you guys were kind of the leader in that. Um, and uh, we've been lucky enough to to drive a handful of of the Roush Mustangs over the years, various stages of Roush Mustang and the Raptor Roush Raptor, I mean, the six hundred horsepower Roush Raptor that. Um, we might have jumped a few curbs. We don't have a lot of off-road stuff in L.A., <laughs> right. so you just find like the median on like Santa Monica Boulevard or or a McDonald's parking lot. You just run over everything you can, and right. uh, you're like, I didn't feel a thing. The suspension's fantastic. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that was a Prius, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> just yeah, that's what we ran over. It was a Prius. Uh, so the the new Mustang platform is is fantastic. We've got 460 or so horsepower in the base, so supercharging is the most bang for the buck. And the new 2650 superchargers that you guys have, you got to be pushing like 700 horsepower, right? Uh, 710. Yeah. Yeah. On on the good gas of the world or uh, shitty California gas. Uh, pump gas. I don't know. I, I'm not yeah, that familiar with our, California gas. Yeah, it's terrible. Is it? Yeah, it's it's terrible. They, it's 91 octane minus. Like, cause it's, it's barely. I, I think we can get away with this stuff, and you guys uh, know this far better than I do, but what you guys can do in supercharging because of how advanced just – the cars are coming from the manufacturers with knock sensor, knock sensors, and so much control over timing and and sensitivity to octane and stuff. You can probably pick up a brand new Mustang that's 460 horsepower, get a bad tank of gas, and it'll be 430 horsepower. But the car adapts and makes it work, right? Right. Also, absolutely. you can you can get a new Mustang. You can put 87 in it or 91 in it. So you guys must be. The, the complex part is probably not making the supercharger. It's getting the tune. <laughs> you know, how do you make 710 horsepower in that car? That's actually really observant. Uh, something we probably don't tell the story of enough is how much we invest in just the calibrations um, for a vehicle package. You know, when you look at, you know, all the way from development, which is testing and, you know, developing all, all over the country in different environments to going to uh, places to get it tested and certified. You know, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, so it is it is a big investment, especially, you know, when you look at how, you know, it's a very exclusive uh, population, you know, a very exclusive uh, build uh, that we do. We don't yeah. make that many of them. So we, ha- we have to be careful, you know, that we hit the mark and, Put something out there that the market wants, and you know that the cost justifies that. 
It's uh, actually it is pretty interesting. How many Roush Mustangs or vehicles do you think you guys have made over the last twenty years? That's a great question. Um, I think it's over twenty thousand. Yeah, I think it's like twenty five thousand. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of them out there. I yeah. mean, it's a good amount, right? It's 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 good collectability, but it's enough to to say we we really know what we're doing, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's going back from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's every year. You know, it's it varies, but it's you know only a small part of that. So what's what's on the horizon for you guys? Uh, that's a great question. Like, the market's constantly changing. Uh, we, I can't give uh, any secret information, but some hints are trucks are big. Trucks you know, are big. Off-road is big. Uh, Mustang, I don't think you'll ever see that go away. Yeah. But. It's, uh, it is pretty interesting. And everybody's talking about the, the Ford commercial that's out now. And there's the, the little flash two second flash of some sort of futuristic mustang and people are like is it could it be a hybrid could it be electric could it be whatever and and it seems like there's probably something that you guys are thinking about you know not just three years or four years but 10 years down the line and going hey what what if the mustang is a performance hybrid and how do we start to extract more performance from that we know we're doing with suspension but now we've got batteries we've got more weight we've got things like that and then you know there's sort of two schools of thought in the hybrid world you know we've got or or the electric world we've got you know the all the 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 fuel efficient mpg cars but then we've got a handful of the cars that are hybrid for the sake of boosting performance, Acura NSX and McLaren and, and all of that technology is super trick, but it's going to start to trickle down to more affordable cars. And why couldn't we have, you know, a Mustang that has, you know, some sort of electrification to create boost. Like if you have a, a, a turbo Mustang or a turbo V8 or turbo V6, then we add an electric motor on the transmission possibly that fills the gap between, you know, that turbo lag. Right. You know, that's missing, you know. I mean, that's maybe McLaren P1 technology now, but, you know, who knows where it goes years from now, right? Right, absolutely. And it, quite honestly, uh, it's very hard to predict where things are going to go, you know, what the market's going to demand. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're we're constantly looking at, kind of pushing the limit of performance and you know doing it with OE quality. So mm-hmm. So where can we um find uh, all the Roush performance stuff online? Uh at roushperformance.com. And then we're looking forward to seeing you race again. You're going to be back next season? Uh it looks like it. We're trying to get our program together right now, but uh if when you don't the you'll start? uh January in Daytona. Yeah, so it would be with him. Oh, so plenty of time. Yeah, <laughs> it's, gonna, it's coming up quick. It right. seems like it's never ending. It's just like right. it's like any time you get into it, like all right, good, good season. Now we got to start all over, raise more money, and yeah, work the sponsorships and develop the car. And I, that's it. That's what racing's about, right? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing it because we got great cars out here as a result of all the stuff you guys are doing and your road racing, your drag racing. You know, it's good. Jack, thank you so much. We appreciate the time. We are uh, we're going to run off to the next interview, but have fun out here. I'm going to come back later, and we're going to go for a ride. All right, sounds great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. All 
All right, now we're here in the Brembo booth with our friend Dan Sandberg. How are you? It's become a yearly thing now, Sam, tell us you. It really is. We should do this more than yearly. We'll just come and sit in the convention center. <laughs> just come down here and do it? Well, the problem is we're so far away. This is our only chance to kind of get together and do this. It's sort of halfway. Yeah. So no, uh, how is it being the boss at Brembo? It's good. You know, it's a great company. I mean, you know, I come to shows like this. And even though it's a lot of moving and, you know, going from place to place and mm-hmm. doing interviews and stuff like that, it's, uh, uh, it's good to see Brembo everywhere. I mean, you look at this, you look at this uh, building right now, yeah. and the building is festooned with Brembo calipers. Oh, my gosh. They're everywhere. They're I mean, fantastic. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> talked about it. I got them on my M3. That's I got them right. on my 2001 M3. Which worked out great. We did our big photo shoot with uh, HRE wheels, and we got our bright red Brembos right behind those. those you know, uh, big wheels are great. There's big wheels, and you need to fill those wheels with Brembo. Right? That's right. And I think the biggest difference you see this year is, you know, everybody talks about this conversion from cars to SUVs and trucks, you know. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot more Brembo now on SUVs. And trucks. Which I was is driving great. a truck the other day, and all I kept thinking about is it needs brake upgrade. Like I'm, I just there's so much nose dive, and I get that. That's with the trucks, but I I just could I just kept felt felt like I wasn't getting on the brakes hard enough, and that it was too hard, and the truck wasn't slowing down. It's just like the weight makes all the difference, you know. Driving the M3, which is fairly light, and then my other car doesn't have Brembos, but it's an Alfa Romeo Spider. It's a ninety two Alfa Romeo Spider. That car doesn't weigh anything, yeah. so you just get on the brakes a little bit, and it, it slows down. I mean, it's not the best performer in the world, but it just slows down. And then you get in a truck, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe well, you know, you the look factory at, you look at trucks. these things drive you know, Most way. people, they talk about, like, pickups. You know, you say, oh, I got a pickup truck. You know, mm-hmm. you, you picture a guy who's a construction worker or whatever, and you're like, you know, what's he need Brembo for, right? But that's not the definition of pickups now, right? I mean, these pickups are luxury vehicles, performance vehicles in a oh, lot yeah. of cases, uh, plus the ones that haul a lot of stuff. So when we started looking at pickups, we said, geez, you know, this is a great opportunity here. You got huge wheels. So, and usually you look at those huge wheels, and you have those little tiny, you know, sliding brakes inside. Yeah. Uh, and we said, first of all, aesthetically, it looks terrible. Yeah. So, this is a great opportunity to put Brembos. But then you, you get to the issue that you're talking about, is people put a lot of stuff in those trucks. Yeah. And they're finding out, geez, you know, they don't stop like their car. They don't stop like their SUV. Uh, and I think there's a functional place for Brembo in that regard. And that's what we're finding out. People who are putting Brembo on love it. They look great. Uh, but they're saying, geez, you know, my truck stops. I fill yeah. it up with bricks or, or dirt or whatever. And, I, you know, I stop at the light and, and, the, and the car stops. I mean, so that's so this, a great thing. So this brings up a good point because we're here at SEMA. So we're talking mostly about aftermarket stuff. Uh, there's mostly sort of two things we're looking at with you guys are new kits that are available from mm-hmm. And then new product, right? So we have new calipers or new discs or, or I mean, there's well, always you take new a look stuff in the, in the calipers. And you take world. a look at the GM booth. And, you know, GM's been very, very active in getting Brembo 
out to the consumer when the consumer wants it on their vehicles. Um, yeah. Not just OE original, but the aftermarket division, their performance division, is really is really yeah. offering Brembo this year. We see Brembo on the Chevrolet. Say that fast. <laughs> Chev- the Chevrolet Silverado High Country uh, LTZ and RST uh, Street Concepts cars. Okay. So you see uh, uh, the availability again of another Brembo package uh, from GM that's offered uh, to the consumer. So you can, uh, you know, you can tune your own car almost. You know, and, yeah. and, and do what you want to do. And uh, we offer some great color, con- uh, you know, some great color combinations for that. And. Uh, uh, it's fantastic. So, you know, those are great opportunities, and you're seeing other OEs also offering certain kits, you know, that are available uh, for not only cars, but, but also trucks. Um, so we have, we have truck and SUV applications. Is it mostly uh, GM products? Are we doing F-150s? Are we doing new? We saw some Ford F-150s. Actually, there's one about 30 feet uh, from here. Uh, and then that's one thing we're seeing. Um, I think, you know, GM is ahead of the game because they saw this coming. Yeah. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of the tuners here who are doing a lot of trucks. How many, how many Jeeps did you see here today? How many yeah. uh, uh, pickup trucks did you see? A lot. I mean, more than I've ever seen at this show. But there's a lot of Brembo on all those vehicles. Yeah. So there's a lot of kits that you can get uh, from Brembo that'll fit your cars uh, and, uh, and and your trucks now. And what's new in the product world? Uh, the the you guys are coming up with these crazy looking calipers. They're very sort of organic looking, and, and I think they look really they look amazing, cool, don't yeah. they? I, I wasn't very sure. Asymmetrical. You and, and I talked kind of, last yeah. year, or maybe the year before, I think, about the BM8 that came yeah, out. We did. It, it was, was an eight piston monster caliper, uh, which we made, by the way, for fitting on fitment on on trucks and SUVs, uh-huh. uh, the big wheels. Um, I think you and I weren't sure. If I recall, a yeah. couple of years ago, we said, "Boy, that it looked like molded dough, you know, for into a caliper." Right, but I get it. I mean, there's it's it's like, how do you make a caliper that large? And there's probably some aerodynamic factor to it. There's probably some weight factor to it. Like, how can you shape this thing or mold this thing to where? And All that's the not accidental. Are there? Yeah, and yeah. it's it really isn't accidental. I mean, we use a technology called 4D technology. Uh, which is a optimization process where we're looking at fit, finish, function, and we're trying to optimize the caliper to get the most weight to performance uh, factor. And uh, what you're seeing is, you know, the, the caliper, you know, it, it, it molds itself into that shape using this technology, the process that we use, uh, and it has that form. So where there doesn't need to be weight, there isn't any. Where there aren't any pistons, there's no metal. So you have a lot of openings uh, in the caliper. You have that kind of, uh, I don't know, you called it organic yeah. look. Yeah. Um, it's, it, you almost can see the, f- the fit and the function of the caliper, right? You almost can see where the pistons are. Um, there's bridges that go across the top for stiffness. Uh, yeah. And the caliper is super stiff. Uh, and we had an eight-piston model, the BM8, that came out, uh, I don't know, 18 months ago or so. Right. Uh, we now released at SEMA this year a six-piston version, which will be our base caliper for a whole mess of applications out there uh, that's going to be really cool. And it's a, it, you know, it comes in five or six different colors. Uh, it is, as I said, stiffer than anything we've ever made. Um, it is wider. So that was one of the issues we had. We had a lot of uh, uh, big rotors that were going in these vehicles. Yeah. Uh, and we could do the size, but we had trouble with the width of some of these right. rotors. Right, so you could do a 15-inch rotor, but yep. it's the thickness of that rotor that 
is is adding a lot of weight, a lot of heft, and how do you get a caliper around that thing? Exactly. And, you know, we had a lot of guys who were tracking, like Porsches, for example, and we're asking, can we get something that's, you know, track sensible? This is this will give us that possibility, I think, in, in a lot of cases. So you kind of have that road and track uh, kind of capability, not only for Porsches, but for your cars that right. you're tracking. So it's, it's really, really cool. And... Um, more braking surface you know i mean you look at the it's this was this is really a great mm-hmm. caliper it's optimized it looks great i'm looking right over your shoulder actually at yeah it. so well this this other photo here this blue one with the black background like it looks mountainous like it grew from the earth it just sort yeah. of shaped you know like you and know. if you you know you can see it if you if you go online we have pictures of it on vehicles uh, at brembo.com and you will see the caliper it doesn't look exactly like it looks like we look at it. It actually looks great inside the car. I mean, it, it really yeah. looks high tech, uh, but at the same time, it's you know it's pure Brembo. And what's happening in brake pad worlds and rotor worlds? Well, you know, rotors continue to get lighter and lighter. Uh, and you say, well, how, how can you do that? You know, we keep talking about a lot of horsepower, and yeah. the rotors are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, but there's a lot of two-piece technology out there. So, you know, you take your basic iron rotor that you see every single day uh, and now they're looking at those rotors and saying geez you know what can we do to optimize the rotor well the biggest target is the hat section of yeah, the rotor that's so, the intersection you only need that strip of iron on the outside where the brake pad kind of exactly. hits it right as we're sort of kind of dumbing this down if you will but now what what do you have left in the middle so we're actually seeing in some of our OE applications the original equipment applications that we have and we're also seeing in the aftermarket which we've had but we're seeing some new materials now we're seeing two pieces rotors make it to the scene so right. the hat section if you will other than the ring if you will that has to be iron uh, are made out of aluminum uh, they're made out of uh, stamped steel uh, all these different components uh, that uh, all these different alloys that are now lighter a lot lighter so you can take 20 to 40 percent of the weight right. of the rotor in some cases out uh, and they attach to the rotor using different types of technology uh, we have a lightweight rotor that we use uh, a lot with Mercedes, for example, that's actually a press fit. So there's no attachments. It actually almost stamps itself so you right eliminate, in. eliminate, I don't know, a half a dozen fasteners, and they all weigh something, right? Exactly. And that's offered uh, on current production for a lot of Mercedes vehicles. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting technology. And then we have the fastener world, which you see a lot of two-piece. We've been selling those for years. That's a very tricky technology. Uh, and uh, uh, but we've mastered that obviously from a technology standpoint. I, I can't imagine the difficulty in the press fit because there's so much heat cycling and so much expanding and shrinking of metals that you know it's funny <laughs> the two piece rotors. One of the benefits that we find is you know we talk about rotors taking a lot of heat and they are they're the, the item it takes heat. But you get that you know all the problems you have with that heat in a rotor where it more or less warps and you get you know the judder and everything else you see you don't get as much of it with a two-piece rotor uh, because of that separation if you will between the two yeah. materials you know think about it when you if you had something that was totally fixed you heat it up and it can't move it has no choice but to warp all right but when you have a two-piece rotor if there's a lot of heat first of all you get a lot more v- you get a lot more uh, exit points for the heat but right. second of all it's not pinned if you will so it doesn't really want to warp the hat section stays where it is and then the ring itself you know we call it floats or more or less flexes uh, as the heat's brought into it and then it returns to shape after so you don't get that warpage uh, in the in the rotor so it has some benefits lighter weight and it performs better in the long run 
are we going to? Is there more of a heat dissipation with a different material on the hat? Like if you're doing an aluminum or something, that heat transfer from the from the iron going to the aluminum, does it? You know, that's I, I would say uh, I have to drag my engineers in here yeah. to, to figure that out. But you know, obviously, aluminum has always been a, a, a better product. If you you got to be careful though with aluminum, right? Doesn't take heat as well. Yeah, uh, your rotors could get quite mushy. Right, so. but again, we're just talking about the hat section. Yep. In when most so, of the heat is in the iron. Yeah, so. I mean, I think the you know the, on the two piece side where you see aluminum, we're not using that in a lot of high performance uh, applications. Yeah, so it's not seeing as much heat as, so you, as you imagine. And and you could do a hat section in a stamped steel, but you can pocket it, you can lighten it by it's it's not a, just a solid. Exactly, yes, a if stamped you will. hat yeah. section the one the you, that we use for yeah. most of these rotors are really kind of interesting because they're very very light. You know, a hat section you know, that could be five, six, seven pounds, but the stamped version is only two, three pounds. Yeah, so. which is significant. Every every pound counts on when you're. Yep. When, it, when it's on the corners like that. And, you know, the original equipment guys are interested in that. They're looking for ways and uh, you know to take weight out of the vehicle, mm-hmm. first of all, for a cafe, whatever happens to that uh, over the next uh, few years. Uh, but electrics are looking for specifically ways to lighten uh, the vehicle because it's, it's all about how yeah. long can you go, right? I, I was just reading an article the other day that said basically if, you, you know, if you're making an electric car these days and it can't go more than 220 if it's under 220 miles on range, you know you're not in business. All you're right? not in you, business. You got to right. you got to have something that's nearing that you know 270, 300 mile in our range, or it's just not going to be a viable product. And, you know something we touched on a little bit last year was the future of braking and a, a brake by wire, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, just no hydraulics at all, some sort of electronic braking. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. I don't know if it'll be the next 10 years or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you will have a car that'll be totally brake by wire. Right. Um, I think you'll get there in a transitional phase. So you're going to see maybe brake by wire in the rear of the vehicle with a hydraulic backup and the front will still be hydraulic. Then you'll move maybe to brake by wire all four corners with some type of hydraulic uh, protection. Um, yeah. In electric vehicles, you have regenerative braking which really isn't a braking mechanism more than an engine mechanism, but, you know, where you're basically gearing down, um, you have that protection also. So at the end of the day, I, you know, I have no doubt everything's going to get electrified in the vehicle. Braking won't be, you know, won't be an exception. I, I mean, I, doing it would allow smarter braking systems, right? Where we start to eliminate the human out of the braking system. Well, and, and we're, f- we're finding that it's faster. I mean, yeah. when you touch a brake in a hydraulic system, it's fast, but electric is faster. I mean, yeah. you know, think about it. You're, you know, the whole process of pressing a pedal, which then triggers either a hydraulic pump or the actual pressure itself, which then transfers back. You know, I mean, it all happens pretty fast, but not as fast as turning on a light. You know, and the light goes on. Right. It's quick and it goes. So we're finding it faster. We're also finding that in, in our brake by wire systems that we're designing now, you can fine tune the brake system. So, you know, if you like a stiff pedal, you can tune the brake to right. be stiffer. If you like a softer pedal, so you can, I don't know, some people like to kind of ride that brake or they, they like that little soft cushiness. Um, you know, it's like sleeping, I guess. You know, you like a soft right. bed. Right, they can just you know, back off bed. on the sensitivity of it or something exactly. like that. So. Exactly, and you know, and, and one of the things we found is you take a look at like a, a Tesla vehicle, for example, where you can switch, you know, any to, to any kind of, you know, do you want a, a sport ride, do you want a sport plus ride, do you want a track ride, right. you can or change a Porsche. The, you can, the engine braking in the Tesla or 
simulated engine braking. Or Porsches or BMWs or Mercedes. You all have those features now. One thing that's usually not touched is the brake pedal. Yeah. Now you can. So if you put it in a track mode, you get a much more sensitive brake. And what about the discs, the, the, the rotors, the carbon or carbon ceramic, that technology? When do we start to see that trickle down into the more affordable cars and the aftermarket kits? Because, you know, of course we've seen Ferraris retrofit all day long. You can go and you can spend, you know, I don't know, $30,000 or something. on, But, you know, Brembo's made moves that we've talked about in the past, how you know, a Focus RS and cars that are more affordable can come with Brembo brakes. How do we start to get, like, the I don't think you'll ever technology. see carbon-carbon, all right? Yeah. So everybody's like, oh, can I get what they're doing? You know, carbon-carbon. I don't think you ever see carbon-carbon just because of all the characteristics of it, how right. it has to be warmed up for performance. Right. Uh, it, that's, it, you aren't going to see that. But we have a carbon-ceramic a technology, which yeah. you do see now, uh, and, it's, and, and it's the kind of technology you see on, uh, uh, you know, you're going to see that technology on Porsches and Ferraris and, and a lot of the high, uh, high-end vehicles, but you are now seeing, seeing some of that technology slip down into what I would call premium cars still, uh, but performance cars like the Corvette, for example. You can buy a carbon ceramic package for a Corvette, uh, and the pricing now on that technology is... I would say it's at least 30% lower than it was when I first started at Brembo, you know, over a decade ago. Uh, and I certainly see that that technology will become more uh, economical. It will never be, you know, $20 a rotor. You're not going to, you know, but I don't think everybody wants it, uh, yeah. you know, on their cars. Um, that has a tremendous well, bite. If you haven't driven a car with the carbon ceramic, it's, it's an experience. Yeah. But and everybody's obsessed whether they use it or not, right? You you put it on your Corvette, and you know how many track days do you do? Maybe you do three a year, two a year, but you just love the idea of the lightweight, you know, the the reduced weight from the from the carbon ceramic, and maybe there are some. It's lightweight. It's low dust. The yeah. performance is spectacular. It's almost, to be honest with you, a lifetime braking system. At the end of the day, particularly on some of the cars that gets put on, you know, where you're not going to put you know, 80,000 miles a year on the car and take it out. But it's, uh, you know, it is a, it, it is definitely a, what we would call a high-performance braking system. Yeah. Uh, and, but it is a what is high the capability. between a, an, an iron rotor versus the carbon ceramic rotor in, in life? You know, like... Oh, you, it's, it's, as I said, you, I, you know, you have carbon ceramic that can go... You know, I mean, depending on how you're driving, yeah. if you're tracking it, without shaving the rotors not. down or doing any of that. But if right? you like take a take a Porsche or take a Corvette, I mean, that's going to be a lot. You know, you're going to get over a hundred, hundred fifty thousand miles at least yeah. uh, on a carbon ceramic, provided you're not heavily tracking the car. You know, if you're out there on the track, you know, doing road courses and stuff like that, it, you know, it's going to wear, but it, it's going to be three, four, five times the the lifespan of a, an iron rotor. Yeah. So. And how does how does it wear the brake pad differently than iron? Well, a lot of them, a lot of the systems, you have carbon pads also, so you match those. So yeah. similar characteristics. You know, you don't you don't get a lot of dust. So what does that tell you? you yeah, know, there's there's not, not a lot of wear not going not on. A lot of wear going on. Yeah, so it's a very efficient brake system. Uh, there's a lot of great things about it, but it is expensive. I mean, let's you know, it's not four times the cost of an iron system. It's you know. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Hundred times the cost. Of it is hundred times the cost. So. Yeah, even on on the OE level, you you can, you know, you could 
go to BMW and price out a new M4 or something like that, and then like, oh, but if you want the brake option, it's eighty eight hundred bucks. Yep. You know. But uh, again, I mean, if you are really a hard driver and you're tracking the car, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, for, you know, for me, if I'm in the Porsche and I'm uh, you know on a nine eleven and I'm going one hundred twenty miles an hour and I have to stop now, yeah, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want anything else. Speaking of Porsches, how's your turbo? Good. It's very good. Uh, he's doing well. We just went on a uh, fall color tour. Yeah. And uh, he enjoyed the colors quite a bit. Didn't uh, see many of them, but, you know. <laughs> it was, it's a it was Turbo lovely. S, right? 911 yes. Turbo yes. S. Is it white? It's white. It's white with a wine interior. Yeah. And green rotors? Uh, oh, lime, green, green, lime, the lime green calipers. Lime green, special, special Brembo rotors. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember. It's funny though because it's a very similar <laughs> color to what uh, Porsche uses on their hybrids. So when people ask me, they say, "Geez, I've never seen that before." I say, "Well, that's a hybrid 911." Yeah, that's the hybrid. And I get all excited yeah. about that. It's like, yeah. really, really? Where did you get that? Well, you got to be the boss at Brembo. Show them that's a couple. The the, to... Show them a couple double A batteries in the trunk. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Say, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what it, it is. <laughs> Um, well, thank you. We appreciate the time. I, I, there's so much more I'd love to, to get into, but we've got to go do the next. i got to go do a live show. We're going to do Shift and Steer live show. So if you guys are listening to the CarCast, go listen to Shift and Steer as well. Fair enough. How's your podcast going? It's going good. It's going good. As uh, I, I guess some of the listeners know, uh, we do an internal podcast at Brembo where yeah. we actually, you know, we talk about the stuff we talk about in business. So our safety, uh, anything else going on in the different plants. We talk about new business awards. But the one thing we added uh, several years ago is we added customers because some of our listeners said, geez, you know, it'd be really great if we can hear from people who are using our brakes. Yeah. So we've had everybody on the show from uh, somebody you and I know. Uh, oh, no, we haven't done that, have we? We no. have to talk about that. Yeah. All right, anyway. No, we've had everybody on there from, uh, you know, uh, race car drivers to MotoGP riders to, uh, uh, you know, guys from GM, Ford, Chrysler, Porsche, uh, everyone using our products. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it's good. It's always good to hear from your customer. And when the customer gets the chance to talk to our engineers... You know, on the podcast, well, it really gets candid and, and exciting for them. Dan, you've got a great podcast, and if you want to listen to it, all you have to do is get a job at Brembo. There you go. <laughs> it's super easy. Thanks for recruiting uh, for us. I appreciate there it. There you go. Sign up. Go to the go to the recruitment website, um, and then uh, where do we find out all the information about you guys? Do we just go to Brembo.com? Brembo.com. That's the place to go. It's a great website. You'll see the the. Do we get all the calipers. aftermarket stuff there as well? Or, uh, or? yes, you can. And uh, should I give them a hint? No? Can I do that or not? No? Well, I will say this. <laughs> Go to the website and yeah. keep watching the website because we will have uh, some interesting things going on in the aftermarket world within the next eh, 60 days. It's going to okay. be easier and easier to get Brembo uh, rotors and pads uh, quickly. Okay. Well, maybe what we should do is in a month or two have you, uh, have you call in the CarCast and, and give us an update on what's going on. We'll do that. Excellent. Dan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We're going to eat tacos tonight? Uh, I hope so. Okay. Hope we'll so. see you there. Uh, I think we've, uh, they may be in the shape of a caliper, from what I understand. <laughs> that kind of makes sense. I've yeah. been working all day on that. <laughs> all right, Dan. Thank you so much. All right. One more quick break to talk about Continental. If you think of all the weird things you find in cars, I'm not talking about French fries and melted crayons. I'm talking about live snakes, bizarre trinkets, and the kind of stuff that makes you just wonder about folks. Well, 
Another thing that'll make you wonder, but in a good way, are Continental belts. I bet you didn't know there are OE and tens of millions of Chrysler, Dodge, Ford, and GM vehicles that roll off the assembly line. They're also OE on a majority of BMWs and VWs. And now Continental is launching their aftermarket multi-V belt with the OE pedigree. It's their OE technology series. These belts are fanatically engineered for perfect fit, form, and function. And Continental has the OE Technology Series Multi-V Belt for 98% of the vehicles on the road in the U.S. and in Canada. So listen, you guys get enough surprises working on cars and trucks already. A belt shouldn't be one of them. Go with the Continental OE Technology Series Multi-V Belt, the belt with the OE pedigree. To get the full story, visit OETechnologySeries.com. All right, we're back with more SEMA coverage right now. All right, we're back in the Center Force Clutches booth. We've been here uh, year after year because we want to come over and see our buddy Will Beatty from Center Force. He's a cool Force. guy. He's a really cool Is guy. He? He's a cool yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, you've heard us uh, shout, literally shout at him um, on uh, on CarCast when uh, when Goldberg comes in. and uh, That Goldberg like, guy. I can take him. Like a little little shout out to Will Beatty. He'd be like, don't even bring him up. <laughs> He's upset. He wants a clutch, I guess. Yeah, he wants a clutch. He wants a clutch. Everybody wants a clutch from you. I clutch told him, man. I said, I'll give you a clutch when Wanda, his wife, makes another chocolate pie for me. And we're good. We're yeah. Well, it's a good deal. I don't see the problem with it. I don't think she'd argue with that. No. I just don't think she knows. Yeah. Well, uh, Well, it's good to see you again, buddy. Yeah. Uh, tell us what's going on with you. Well, you have your Jeep project. I yes. know you picked up a Jeep. And, yep. And, which is interesting because you guys have been doing a lot of development on Jeep clutches not just the drive down the 405 sitting traffic nope. Jeep clutch, but the kind of rock climber uh, clutch. Yeah, we've been doing Jeep stuff for quite a while. And then when obviously we came up with this uh, high inertia flywheel that really helps the Jeeps. So, you know, the old six-cylinder Jeeps, they actually develop torque down low where the new 3.6 and the 3.8 Jeeps, the earlier 3.8s, no torque. So the only way for us to develop torque was to put a heavy flywheel on it. And that made all the difference in the world in that Jeep for being able to go out. It's, and it's an interesting thing because, you know, we talk so much about performance and, and racing and vintage racing and, you know, the, the Mustangs, the Dodge Demons. It's you go all the other about, way. You go the other way. Lightweight. Yeah. Make everything lightweight. Make everything lightweight. But you're doing some, some off-roading or some rock mm-hmm. climbing. You want that inertia. Inertia is your friend. I tell people that yeah. it is your friend. You know, there is a degree when you do much inertia. Same thing with... Um, you know, lightweight. You know, you take too much out, and the thing just falls on its face when you let the clutch out. Same thing happened in the Jeep when you load them down. That's a heavy obstacle, you know, obstacle the Jeep itself. So, but it really does sort of speak to how much weight of something like the flywheel and whatever drive shaft and whatnot, how much that plays a role in how that car performs. You know, you cut a few pounds off a flywheel or add a few pounds. It's substantial, depending on from. See, you got to look, look at it from the center out, from basically the center center of the crank out. The farther you go out from center, the more effective that weight is. So yeah. that's, that's when you see a slotting flywheels and stuff like that. We haven't really dropped a lot of so-called bathroom scale weight, but the inertia was removed a lot. And we do the same thing with the Jeep. We put a lot of weight on the outer edge because we want to have that inertia so that the weight of the vehicle doesn't pull the motor down and stall it out, which Jeeps are really easy to do. 
as I found out. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting it's a an interesting analogy would be we're starting to see uh, carbon fiber wheels show mm-hmm. up in in the aftermarket and um, in the uh, in in that space. Yeah, you have something like a Shelby GT three hundred and fifty or Ford GT with an all carbon wheel. That's performance. But there are car there are companies uh, like HRE or Forgeon or something doing carbon wheels, and it was funny because the wheel first came out, it was it was it was like an all carbon wheel. But if you do if you do an aluminum center section and then the barrel of the wheel is carbon, that you're going to get more benefit from right. that and strength because that outer edge. That's that swings the most right. is the lighter portion of it, exactly. right? Exactly. Well, that's where it's more effective. As I say, the farther out you go, the more effective it is. Either way, light or heavy. So. Yeah. So, um, so you have Jeep kits now that mm-hmm. are, are specifically designed for that. Exactly. So specifically designed, designed for, for this yeah. for this application for off roading and, and and rock and climbing. And having fun. And, we'll have to get you in one one of these days. Yeah. Bring you up to Prescott. Prescott. Yeah. Priaskit. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Have you? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I think my dad lived there for a while. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he lived there yeah, for a while. I learned something new every day. Yeah. Um, what are some of the other new applications you guys have? You have some LS applications. Yeah, stuff. we. Uh, is it vehicle specific or is it more like crate motor just stuff? Just LS. It's, uh, LS pretty much fits in everything. Go on yeah. a Jeep if you wanted to. Uh, but we came up with the uh, 11 inch twin this year uh, because. Big power guys. Guys are really pushing the envelope. Um, 2,000 horsepower in an LS is not uncommon. Uh, you don't see a picture of it here. It's actually out there, and I can show you later. Um, and then, you know, so those guys are, you know, we're looking to hold 1,800 to 1,900 foot-pounds of torque is what we're looking to hold with that uh, and still have the drivability that we've always been kind of known for. So Yeah. Then we have our little eight and three quarter triples that uh, work well in uh, off, you know the autocross stuff, and so we're still playing. How is how is clutch technology advancing? Because everybody wants higher capacity, but still streetability and light pedal feel. And it used to be something like a, a twin disc clutch would be a monster to, yeah. to drive. It, it's it's kind of hard to stay with it because. The wants and needs are changing. Everybody wants, wants and wants and wants. More power, more power, more power, but they don't want to sacrifice any type of drivability. And that's what's hard to do um, in what we do. You know, we may not be able to have the highest holding clutch capacity, uh, holding capacity, but we try not to sacrifice that drivability. And so trying to match our friction material with the clamp load and the weight of the flywheel and everything else and to that vehicle is the biggest challenge. You know, a lot of guys will still go out there with a really tall rear gear and wanting to put, you know, a heavy cl- or a light cl- weight clutch in there. Well, that doesn't work. It's just, it's going to fall on its face. The best example I could give you is something like that is trying to take off in second gear. The clutch will just, you know, the, the weight of the vehicle just pulls the motor down and it just falls on its face. Yeah. And, now, how, how do you do it now? Now, when you start talking about a customer calls and says, I, I want to do a clutch upgrade because I just bought a new, you know, Camaro or Mustang or something. And, you know, but I just added a, a supercharger and superchargers now could add 200 and something, 250 yeah, horsepower. Power, yeah. You know, like we just talked with the guys at Roush a minute ago and a Mustang's 460 horsepower. When they're done, it's 710 horsepower. Yeah. Right. So yeah. 
we, we ask them what they're going to do with it, uh, drivability. You know, where's your main interest of driving? Is it on the street or is it on the track? And then what's your rear gear? Because that's real effective uh, to the clutch. Uh, the rear gear, people don't realize how, how much that gearing changes the effects of that clutch. It's, I mean, it can be detrimental to a clutch. But then the wrong gear choice back there will destroy a clutch in just no time at all. So just finding out everything that they're doing with the vehicle, the overall intended use, and then we can say, okay, here's the properly weighted flywheel for what you're doing, um, and here's the clutch choice that we would go with. So, like, having that flywheel and have the whole system be uh, too light, and you're right, if you're moving too much weight or you've got the wrong gearing to it, your engine's going to spin up, and by the time that clutch engages, you're already just kind of burning through it, right? Yeah. It's just... It's just melting the thing yeah, down. Yeah, it's just kind of melting it's, it down. It's, it's, it's awesome on the track. so much life yeah. off of it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome once you're moving and, and on the track, but it's that taking off from a dead stop that just kills it so and we're, now we're, we're looking at multiple discs like this has been around for for a while now yeah. in in street trim mm-hmm. but how do you make that livable we say twin disc clutch but they're not actually twins it's like one thicker than another or no, one's different they're still, no they're still they, the same they are um you know we do a triple as well uh, and now we're looking at four disc uh because guys are wanting more they want it as light as possible and so you know, the only way for us to be able to hold the power is to start stacking. Yeah, clutch disc. And I know you guys are like razor blades. Yeah, so <laughs> it gets really thin, and that's a problem. Is as you get thinner, well, then it heats up a lot faster. Well, that's heat's number one killer of clutch. Yeah. So everything has to get thinner to be able to stack up. So that means the the heat flash is crazy. So how do you how do you start to dissipate heat from a multi-disc clutch? You have to have a good floater and, and a steel something to suck that heat out of that friction material. You have to have that mass, and that's one of the things we've always concentrated on is under the friction surface itself is having a decent amount of mass to pull that that heat out of that friction material. Otherwise, it's going to continue to heat and heat heat up, and then eventually it'll just die. How, how do you handle? pedal feel and how much pressure it is like how do you start to address that we, you know we, like you and i've talked about <clears throat> like there's sort of two questions to it like one is when you're stacking up discs and getting a high load clutch how do you handle it that way well here's a good example this is what we do internally you ever hear me say what our clutch has balls yeah well that's we're, what we're it looking does at a, a chunk <clears throat> of metal well that's a a, a section of a pressure plate the pressure ring itself yeah. so the other side is where the disc would ride right there okay so this would be the pressure plate and this is where the diaphragm pivots right here so this is the pivot point on a standard clutch it's just like a ramp one way and the other way and one way to achieve clamp load is to change that fixture uh, that fulcrum point we want to move it in well when you have a, a ramp on each way you can only go so far before you start changing the thickness of this thing and that is actually the life of the clutch so what we do is we take that ball, we machine that whole thing off, and we can take a ball and move it in as far as we want, but we can also tailor the height and thickness of this thing. So we'll get a picture and we'll put this up there, and you'll see the flat section is what a normal the, clutch would basically exactly. be, and then the one with the two the ball with the two ball bearings in it would be what you guys and, do. And these are glued in here, but normally they're not, so they actually reduce friction inside of it. So as that right. diaphragm's pivoting on it, we reduce internal friction. Right, so that's it's almost like a flat yeah. tappet cam versus yep. a roller cam. Exactly. You know, this is it's, this is a, it's a good analogy right there. Yeah, 
Um, and what that does is reduces friction so we can soften the pedal effort at the same time. We can increase clamp load without affecting pedal effort. So I, you and I have had a couple conversations about uh, the BMW that I've been working yes. on, and I don't know what clutch is in that. It's it's, it's a sax. Yeah, it's something something aftermarket that was done 15 years ago um, when Adam Kroll initially built the car, and you know we we've got the car running pretty good. Um, you know we uh, I blew up a supercharger on it and I put a new yeah. one on there, and I figured why not upgrade it? So now we've got a, a Vortec V2 Ti. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting tuned for it, but. The car is basically undrivable because the clutch. the clutch pedal is so heavy. It's probably got a heavier diaphragm in it. That's one of the things and, they did. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe just the technology has, has changed so much in the last 15 years, but um, uh, not knowing really what's in it. But Well, one it, of the things, and going back to this pivot ball, because this is one of the things we did, there was two ways to achieve clamp load. One was to change that fulcrum point. The other was to change that diaphragm spring. Sachs did that. They put a stiffer spring in there. And so that actually gives you a really heavy pedal. You get more clamp load, but we can go back and say, okay, well, we don't need that heavy spring anymore. Let's put something that's closer to OE so you got a nice soft pedal. But we can give you the same amount of clamp load you have, if not more, by putting that ball bearing technology in there. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's genius that you guys are doing this, and I'm not sure who, you know, most people think they'll, they'll say, oh, we, we can have our other competitors say, oh, they just paint them orange, and that's all they do. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a lot more. No. Uh, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. And uh, somebody over at Center Force is super smart. Is it? Is it? Is it you? I mean. I don't know. You yeah. know, I, I look in the mirror, and I say, you're yeah. pretty smart, dude. Yeah, you're pretty yeah. smart, dude. So, but. <laughs> uh, no, that's a whole team that does that. Uh, uh, you know, the engineering team over there yeah. that uh, yeah. so, uh, there's working a, there's on this stuff is figuring yeah. it out. and. You're right. It is kind of amazing how we're we're getting into that now. um, What about? Are you guys getting into the paddle shift manual type of cars? You know, I I, like examples would be like maybe like an SMG. Yeah, those are the the twin clutch. Yeah, not the automatic paddle shift. You know what I'm talking about? Like a real twin clutch. We've looked at them. They're a little complicated and. I mean, is there a need for? It? I mean, I mean, when there's a bigger need, we'll probably get. But we're already looking at it. Yeah. But um, you know, there's a cost that goes into that as well. You know, to develop something like that, um, and it could be costly to to really develop something like that. Where, right? I mean, for now, the market is you know some of the you know uh, I don't maybe BMW. Maserati, yeah. Ferrari. Well, know, those BMW guys, you know, they're different. You they know? are different. <laughs> I mean, these aren't these aren't your core audience, no. but no. Yeah, but you guys have clutches for pretty much everything. But uh, well, like, I'm I'm being funny there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. It eventually, yes, we will have something. We'll have to if we want to stay in the game. So, and yeah. you might be able to incorporate new technology into like what you have your your BMW as well, and that's what would be fun. That's what you know yeah. in- interests me is like, okay, hey, can we take new technology and put it into you know an older vehicle like what you have, which is still an awesome vehicle. But if you can get some of those, you yeah, know, the newer, uh, the, like I said, well, the technology would be. And here we're, we're at SEMA, and there's got to be at some point you're going to start to see maybe transmission manufacturers and some of those guys coming to you and going, hey, you know, we met with one this week. You know, here's here's my Tremec yeah. six speed. 
and now all these you know crazy hot rod builders Cody Strouds of, the, of yeah. the world going oh my client wants a twin disc paddle shift manual transmission and that's it and he's going to call you yeah. and be like what what can we do good old buddy Bodie <laughs> good old buddy Bodie yeah uh, uh, right because that'll happen right yeah. if it hasn't already it's it, it's going to happen someone's going to say what 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 can we do what can we develop that's when we just see what we what we can do you know but we want to be ready for it that that call's coming yeah we just want to be ready for it and that's why we're already looking at it you know and one of the things that we've seen uh, especially this year at SEMA is just how technology has been playing more and more of a role in everything we were we were talking to the guys over the automatic transmission talking mm-hmm. to TCI and now they're like oh no we already have a transmission controller we have a, a box that controls electronic automatic right. transmission he goes but now you can control it with your phone it's all bluetooth and everything your phone. is going you know and everybody's suspension is adjustable that you, you know there's some sort of well, screen shops. or something yeah, I mean, you know it is is adjustable yeah the you know, came by today he's like hey john did he's like hey check out my new shop you know we can control it with your phone and I'm like cool last thing i want to be doing is driving <laughs> but i mean i you know it's really cool technology but it's cool technology but it's funny because um uh he's on our list we're going to talk to him i think uh, tomorrow so you guys will probably hear it on friday um but yeah, somebody's going. Hey, you can adjust the suspension from while you're driving. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And then somebody else says, you can dial in your, you can change the shift uh, uh, points yeah, uh, you while know, you're driving. Uh, while you're driving, it's like sounds like a lot of things to do yeah. while you're driving. It's like, how about how about we just, just drive build it. it, just drive <laughs> it. You know, uh, you know, I don't mind. Like the car companies are starting to. Uh, I, I think it was Ford was telling me um, Ford had a bunch of different things to adjust. In the Mustang GT and this performance pack, and then the Bullet, they're like, "Well, the Bullet, we wanted to turn it up a notch, but they actually scaled back all of the various things. Instead of like yeah. 19 different settings of stuff, they're like, we'll just give you the, like the four, you know, yeah. like your track and snow and sport and, yeah. and street, and 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 then they'll do the math on the back end and get it dialed in as much as possible. Let's get the word, you know, the driver, you know, on going to a track-based bill, the driver is." Just becoming more of an average guy because the car is going to basically make all the changes. All you have to do is steer it. Yeah, you know, so it's going to do all the shifting and all the adjusting for the shocks. You know, hey, if you come in this corner a little hot because you overdrove it, well, the car is going to try to make up for it. You know, and right? Yeah, just because you have track mode in yeah. your car doesn't mean you should use it. Yeah, <laughs> well, we see that quite often. Yeah, I'm you know. sure you do. Well, you guys I can do. Drive it. You guys do a ton of autocrossing. We do. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Maybe it's just, I don't know. Is this something that you guys are just into, or just get a lot of clients? I know. I, I all my cars are broken. <laughs> well, we put you in a car. Uh, yeah, put you in a car. I'm good at hitting cones. Is that part of the? That's, thing? that's exactly what those cones are there for. Okay. I mean, they're good. not there just to look at. I mean, they're there to see how many you can hit if in this one is a, lap. If this is a kill the cone competition, yeah. I'm in. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm I mean, in there's for a special sure. trophy for that and everything. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there is a special trophy for it. It's one way to make the podium. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> Goldberg very famously put together uh, Wanda's car. Yes. Her, her, I actually went out there and stayed with him, helping build that thing. Yeah, and then she was out of town, and he drove it, and yeah, he did. He hit like the timing clock, hit, the timing yeah, pole, or something. Put a big old dent on the side of the yeah. door. <laughs> kind of gave the he's door. Aggressive. In. Yeah, he's a little aggressive. Oh well, we just did Goodwood as well, and then he was driving one of Mike Skinner's NASCAR trucks, and uh, oh. he hit the hay bale. Did he? Last year he did good. This year he kind of. 
How do you do with the drag race with the Hellcats? Oh, that was great. So we did uh, CarCast. We did it as a, a live show at uh, Roadkill Nights in Detroit. And um, Goldberg actually won the whole thing. Oh, he beat awesome. the Roadkill guys. He beat Leo Pritchett and Matt Hagen and everybody. I mean, it wasn't all head-to-head, but I think the final run was um, Goldberg versus uh, Finnegan. Oh, and he beat, he beat Finnegan. Finnegan oh, the, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and those guys some, do a lot of yeah, drag racing. I was going to say, Finnegan's, he's I, got some I, I tell time. you, I think the difference is is you take guys with a lot of experience like Finnegan and, and Freiberger, and then you put them in a street car without slicks and on a non-sticky yeah. you know, street course. and Probably burned it down. And all it's, the way a, down. it's a different game, you know? It's, a, it's, it's kind of a game changer. Goldberg can drive. Yeah. I've, yeah. I was, uh, well, after, he's got a heavy foot, so every time yeah. he like, you know, he's taking his kid out to a, you know, baseball game or something. Have in you one seen of his the cars. size of him? Yeah, <laughs> his foot is like <laughs> physically heavy. I, I meant it's an actual heavy foot, yeah. like Frankenstein feet. And uh, uh, yeah, so in his street car, he does a lot of pedaling. Yeah. The street car, you know, to get that thing to go. And, have uh, you rode with him in his Cobra? I have rode with him in his Cobra. Uh, yeah, um, that was fun. We after we did the clutch. And that, yeah, we went for a ride. And it's like 920 horse, and oh my god, yeah, that thing's fast. And he actually drove pretty well with that thing. We got across up several times. We we went for a ride in that thing. He was hauling ass. We found some place. We did some donuts. The cops came, shut us down. It was a lovely day. <laughs> Great day with Goldberg. <laughs> Great day. In a typical day. Yeah. A typical day with Goldberg. Um, uh, Will, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go run outside and All take right. a ride in one of the drifting cars. Oh, who are you going with? Uh, uh, Jack Roush Jr. Oh, sweet. He he said, "Come on back, and we're going to go." Must be nice to be you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Eh. we kind of get stuck in the booth all day and <laughs> skip lunches and get to go oh, hang we'll, out at we'll, night. We'll bring you some candy. I oh, appreciate that. Maybe some type of uh, guys, Snickers. Check out centerforce.com, and they make a clutch for pretty much everything. And if, if you ever get confused, give these guys a call or send them an email Please. and say, this is what I'm doing. Like, you may think your 900 horsepower, you know, LS whatever needs a new clutch, but you should find out what clutch you need. Because like you said, everything yeah. from gear ratios and tire sizes yep. all play a role in this now. But um, thank you so much. Good luck with your Jeep. Thank you. And I uh, hope you get it fixed up. Huh. You're going to go for a ride in it one of these days. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to have to plan something for sure. All right. uh, thanks, Will. Thank you. Okay, guys, that wraps up SEMA Day 1. Definitely check in with us again on Friday for more coverage for Day 2. Uh, we had a great time. We got to catch up with friends like Bodie Stroud from, uh, from BSI, his new chassis. That we're going to talk about those on our other show, Shift and Steer. We went drifting with Jack Roush Jr., uh, we've got a whole bunch of photos we're putting together as well. Definitely check out CarCast Show for that or our social media. Go to Facebook.com slash CarCast Show. And uh, we will see you on Friday. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit carcastshow.com.